2: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I don't know why I'm trying to sing it. Just trying to give it a little different vibe, you know, a little different taste. Anyways, we have a lot of new listeners as of late, and I would like to welcome you. If you tripped across the podcast from whatever show got publicized um, by said people, I appreciate you checking it out. Come hang out. We put it out once a week, every Tuesday, Tuesday morning, boom, in your... Inbox in your iTunes or whatever other podcast catcher you listen into. Anyways, I am your host, Ray Harkins. And uh, some business out of the way, propertyofzack.com. If you are visiting their site, you are doing exactly what I'm asking of you. If you are not, you are missing out on amazing music reviews. You are missing out on amazing polls. Right now they're doing something I find very fun because I'm a huge college basketball fan. But basically, they put a bracket together of uh, what they call March Sadness, which I think is quite funny. And they are voting on great emo bands. And so may the best emo band win, you know, all from the mid-90s all the way up until now. So it's like, you know, old, old people versus new people. And uh, yeah, go vote. But um, it's a great site. We love our partnership with them. So uh, yeah, check it out. And I realized I didn't mention, this is episode number 47. Not like that matters, but it matters to me. And then um, we have an editor. We have an editor for the show, and it's awesome. It takes so much work off of my plate, and I love it. Tom Richfield, great dude. I have some of his links to his websites up on various social networks and the like. Uh, yeah, visit visit his stuff. He's a friend from the UK, does a lot of recording you know, bands and all that type of stuff. So um, yeah, Tom Richfield, massive thumbs up. I've already bought him some coffee and I probably will continue to do so. Review the show, visit the website, go to iTunes. Some people, we've got a nice little burst of reviews on the uh, iTunes platform, whatever you like to call it. Um, And I appreciate that. And they've all been nice recently. Not like anyone's really super mean. Like, hey, that Ray dude is the worst thing ever. Uh, Which someone can say, that's fine, as long as they are interested in the interviews that I'm conducting (laughs) or something. Yeah, do that. Go to iTunes. Spend like two seconds and give us whatever star review you'd like. Uh, And then if you want to write a sentence or two, that would even be better because the more reviews we get, the more credit or something that we get. I don't know. There's just a better chance that... We will get placement someday within iTunes. But they'll be like, hey, this podcast got some good downloads. Let's put them up on the front page. And then, um, yeah, that I'll turn into Ira Glass for This American Life. And, uh, yeah, that's what I'll do. No, I'm just kidding. I will never turn into that because he is supremely talented. And I'm only mediocrely talented. That's not a word, I don't think. But anyways, there is one more thing. And actually, this is the most important thing. If you don't do anything else for the show, Please just do this because, uh, you know, when you get a weird thing in your head that you're like, man, if I would be able to achieve this or get featured on this or get reviewed on this, this would be incredible. This is like the pinnacle. There is a website called the AV Club. It's one of my favorite websites. I visit it a lot. And basically what they do is they do a weekly roundup of podcasts. It's called Podmass. What I would love you to do, because I feel like if I did this on my own, it would be very disingenuous and kind of cheap. So, um, they, yeah, they review shows. And once, once in a while, they do a show they call New to Us that they've never reviewed before. And this podcast would, I think, be perfect for them. So open up your email client, your phone, whatever you need to do in order to email podmass, which is P-O-D-M-A-S-S at avclub.com. Email them because if they hear from, you know, three or four people like, hey, check out this show. I really enjoy this. That would be incredible. And then maybe they'll review it. And then maybe some people that should know about this show will know about the show. Because ultimately that's all I care about is people that should know and probably would enjoy this content should find it. So anyways, podmass at avclub.com. If you forget it, email me. Hit me up on Twitter, whatever, and I'll let you know. Anyways, uh, the guest this week, Ben Wyman from the Dillinger Escape Plan. He is the guitarist of the band. Where to begin? The Dillinger Escape Plan is one of the most inventive bands within heavy music, and I dare anybody to correct me on that. They're incredible. Um, They commonly fall within the sort of metal hardcore world, but um, they're so much more than that. One of the best live shows I've ever seen. Um, I could go on about how amazing this band is, but if you already are familiar with the band, awesome. If not, go listen to them. They'll probably make your head explode because it's like, holy shit, what's happening here? And Ben is one of the founding members of the band, has been with the band since day one, and uh, has seen and experienced a lot of amazing stuff. And I've grown to know him over the years. Yeah, he's he's a very down-to-earth, incredible guy that completely has a great business sense about him, is very genuine about what he wants to accomplish with his band, and is just happy to be where he's at. He definitely never thought that this you know, crazy metal hardcore band would be as successful as they are. And they have a new record coming out uh, in May of 2013. Uh, for those of you that are listening to this in 2017, sorry, it's been out for a while. But yes, we had an amazing chat about reputation, legacy, and uh, the m- most important thing, which is Escalator Mosh. I know that's not going to mean anything to you right now, but listen to the interview. We will talk about it. One more thing. It's been on my mind recently. Wanted to get it out there. Want to have a nice little discussion with you all. And this kind of goes back to that whole idea of what I was saying where, you know, that one thing, if I'm able to get that one thing, my life will be that much better. Or if this band gets this one tour, this is going to change the game. And I, I, I just remember saying that I can I can't even remember like when I was touring more regularly or when I was touring at all there would be definitely times where it's like oh man if my band is able to get this tour this is going to like change things and I actually do remember one tour where it was a uh, darkest hour um, and I don't know why that we felt like this this tour was going to be such a good tour, but it was like, I think it just synced up perfectly with like our school schedules and it just worked perfectly. It was going to be, I don't know, five to six week tour, perfect. Um, and I just remember being like, man, if we get this tour, it's going to be absolutely incredible because we have this other tour that's going to follow right after it and we'll just be out for like four months straight and it'll be incredible. I, I mean, very rarely do those things like happen as far as like, oh my gosh, this one thing turned the tide obviously you see you know the whole overnight sensation of you know fucking Gangnam style or harlem shake or whatever like those things are obviously from a different world and those can be sort of an overnight success but th- i don't think that there is that one thing you know if you get it attached in your head where it's like this is going to be the thing and then it happens and then it's not the thing what the fuck is the next thing i don't, I don't know why maybe it's just like i don't know we can view them as goals and like those are easier things to, for us to wrap our heads around where it's like okay if i accomplish this thing then i think you know my life will change at that point and i don't know i don't know what the solution is obviously i mean for me personally maybe i just go into everything with like such low expectations that anything that gets accomplished above that which is usually like 95% of things i'll be satisfied or maybe it's just that's like my way of compensating for you know trying to I wouldn't say trying to be mediocre, but just being comfortable with, like, okay, like that happened. That's cool. I definitely always, worst case scenario of it, where it's like, okay, what is my bare minimum of pleasure that I can get out of this thing that whatever work I put into it, that I'll get in return? That didn't really make sense. But, there's no solution to this we always are going to have those things that we attach ourselves to and then it happens and then we go huh well that didn't change or maybe sometimes it does and obviously it's fucking awesome and then we try to figure out the next thing we can attach ourselves to but yeah i do i do believe especially from the band world where it's like that one tour will change everything it's like well it may not change everything it could help sometimes it could hurt it could end up being like the worst thing you've ever done but Tell me what you think about it you can email the show 100 wordspodcast at gmail.com I always love to interact with people that way Now here's Ben and uh, enjoy the show. Oh, Into you know kind of what you've been creating musically over the years, and I remember, I remember the first time you guys came out to California was you played with Mr. Bungle, if I'm not mistaken.
3: Yeah, that was yeah, yeah, that is yeah,
2: yeah. And so I just remember like the anticipation to see you guys had been building for me on the West Coast because it's like. Your guys' reputation at that point completely preceded you, where it's like, dude, this band? Fucking insane! Like, you know, not only is the music obviously very technical, but then the live shows, you were just like... You know, because this was kind of pre-internet, so... Yeah, exactly. you, You would, you know... Friends of mine on the East Coast would be like, dude, I saw them in a basement and, like, you know, they're like throwing guitars through the ceiling and stuff like that. And then, like, seeing you guys at, you know, it was actually at the Glass House in Pomona. And so I just remember being like, not confused, but just be like, wow, these guys are kind of on a different planet. And that was only when you had your first EP out. Right.
3: (laughs) Yeah. We hadn't even had a full record out yet.
2: Totally. (laughs) Do you still find it hilarious that, like, you're that? not only that reputation still perceives you guys, um, and like, you know, are you able to kind of have a sense of that now where it's just like, Oh, that's like, that's weird that that still exists in our world.
3: Well, I I mean, I can't say this. It's interesting because, you know, as you're talking, like all kinds of things are going through my head and memories and thoughts and, (laughs) (laughs) you know, evaluations of where we are now and where we were then. And, and, um, I have to say there's a lot of pressure, you know, because you're right that it, there was kind of this reputation thing and you know we hadn't it was a lot of things like veen saying this is the craziest band you'll ever see and blah 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 blah. and back then that kind of hype a lot of it was based on like you know like i I remember watching some documentaries of a lot of like punk rock documentaries and Mm -hmm. and hardcore documentaries that have come out over the past few years and you know you hear about these bands like the like black flag who in the East Coast, you would have heard you heard all these rumors about riots and this and that and whatever. And most of that was all generated off of, like, one incident right. that got blown up. And it's like the game of telephone. And by the time it got to us, it was like, every time this band plays, there's blood pouring out. And Henry Donald's punching someone in the throat. And there's a riot outside, and cops are there, and blah, blah, blah. And, like, a lot of the stories were true, but it was definitely, you know... The reality is, is like, you know, that that kind of hype that was built around Dillinger, sometimes I'd be, like, nervous because I'd be like, wow, we're just doing our thing. We're not doing it with any intentions of, like, creating this crazy persona. We never expected anyone in California to even ever know who we were. Right. And we never expected to be doing this for a living. It was just kind of like an after-school hobby, you know?
4: Yeah, yeah. And
3: uh, so then all of a sudden, we're, we're, we're kind of in a our job, part of our job description is to show up and, and live, you know, and, and uh, you know, live up to that. Right, no. <laughs> All of a sudden that we never even expected. And, um, I'm proud to say that mostly almost every single rumor I've ever heard about this band was mm. 100% true.
2: <laughs> well, that's good. Like, cause if you, um, if you yourself are hearing stuff where it's like, I mean, obviously you can play the whole perpetuating the rumor where it's like, you know, yeah, someone, someone asks you something and you're like, "Oh, I'm, you know, I'm not going to confirm or deny that." But yeah, It's yeah. awesome. That you no, can... I
3: mean, there's like pretty much two rumors I've heard that weren't true sure in the history of this band, and the rest were maybe even like underplayed. You know, like there's never been a, really an exaggerated story that <laughs> right. I've heard about this band, and I don't know if I'm proud of that or sad about that or <laughs> right. What, what that or what? Like. But it is interesting, kind of what, what was built around this band, and and, and again, like you said that we did start during a time when it was basically, you know, kids and zines and things like that spreading the word. It wasn't about YouTube or anything like that. And, but at the same time, you know, someone really did like yourself have to come and see it for themselves in order to experience it. And yeah. that's maybe one of the things I missed the most is that you did have to like put yourself, you know, on that subway or in that taxi or, get, get, you know, carpool with your friends, you know, an hour or two away to somewhere to a, uh, to check it out for yourselves as opposed to just putting it in the search engine, you know? You,
2: you hit on an incredibly important point that I was going to bring up later, where in regards to, um, the idea of sustaining, what you do as a musical output as far as like, all right, cool. Like we know we're going to be a band for 15 years. Like you've, you know, that obviously wasn't your thought when the first okay. came out. And so like the fact that you've had to show up and like you said, produce over these years and still maintain, um, that level of intensity, but on a different level, like, yeah, I, I imagine that's obviously that was never the thought process.
3: <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. I mean, it wasn't something we thought of, uh,
2: yeah. But yeah. hey, it it like you said, you're still showing up and that's great. Okay. So you yourself, born and raised on the East Coast or what where would where, you go? Yeah. Where did you come up? I still up? Was in the same
3: neighborhood I was born in. Really? Um yeah. Okay. Uh, I just never left. I mean, and you know, Marsh Plains, New Jersey, a small little town, you know, in North Jersey. We're about forty-five minutes to an hour from Manhattan.
2: Oh, okay, what exit is it off of the uh, the,
3: the turnpike? I, I, mean, I never take the turnpike. But yeah, I I heard that one before. But, of course he um, did. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean living, you know, it's a small suburb. Um, you know, about an hour's train ride from Manhattan,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and uh, so it was a cool, you know, school growing up in this environment and being able to have access to. Uh, to all that culture so easily
2: right right and so it's essentially it's just it's it's a suburb like you know total you know what you would anticipate yeah you would imagine it's a suburb total would yeah you know
3: when my friends from overseas come come to visit me they've always been like oh it's like american pie or something you know uh, <laughs> football football players and cheerleaders and white pick offenses you know
2: sure sure do you have any siblings and what did your, what did your parents do like, you know, when you were, as you were growing up?
3: Well, I, I do, I have a, um, I have an older sister and, uh, my parents were in education. Um, they worked at colleges and universities and stuff like that. Oh,
2: okay. So, um.
3: Were they, you know, te- was, and, were they
2: teachers or were they just kind of in the. Yeah, well, my era?
3: dad was, uh, was a teacher. Okay. Um, he taught, uh, American literature and, um, when he was a, uh, yeah, he's got like a doctorate in. Oh wow! In, in literature, and so, and you know, both my parents uh, have doctorates. My mom's a psychologist now, but she was a, a counselor going um, as I was growing up in a university, and uh, and was continuing her education later on
4: wow.
3: to uh, to become a psychologist. So education was always really important in um, you know, my family. Right. That so I'm going to not go to college to uh, play in a in an avant garde metal band it was not necessarily. The, the most
2: <laughs> right well yeah,, yeah. I wasn't yeah. Children,
3: and then having to choose in that department, but I did end up actually because because of you know I grew up around education and stuff like that, I did end up going to school mm-hmm. and um you know got a degree in psychology, started the masters, but that was all happening during the uh kind of during the time this band was forming and really getting active so that was an interesting thing too to have I think that's a big part of why this band is the way it is was you know when I was writing these songs back in the day it wasn't like I was sitting there just surrounding myself with only like metal and hardcore and punk and like just you know fuck the man fuck my parents fuck you know I I was literally sitting in class all day Mm -hmm. you know in lectures all day and then instead of going to some college fraternity party i would like run home and down to the to the basement and start writing music and just the the outlet of being able to play a show after you know finals or you know sitting in lectures all day and stuff like that was just such such an amazing thing for me
2: i mean especially when you're younger you don't think about the context in which you're writing music like you know you just you obviously have a desire to play in a band here's the bands you want to sound like but When obviously, as you get older and more responsibilities come on your plate, um, you know you definitely have to make calculated. uh, You really have to make an effort in order to produce music or whatever passion you're trying to pursue. So it's interesting that Mm. that was like that the influences influences weren't just like you said, you know, the sort of low hanging fruit that most you know teenagers are experiencing. And in the conversations I've had on this show. Um, basically anybody that's ever had any sort of, uh, teacher as a parent always, always says the same thing where it's just like, yeah, like, you know, it fucking sucked when I had to tell my parents that I wasn't doing school, but I still right. wanted to do school. And like, it's so funny that that like, that is ingrained in our DNA. Cause I was the same way. My mom's an English teacher right. and it's just like, there's yeah. no, there's no way that I would not eventually pursue a degree. It was just a matter right. of the timing of it.
3: Exactly. It was a matter of just making it your own choice, I guess. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah. And so uh, interesting. as you are growing up in high school, like, what sort of roles did you find yourself filling? Like, you know, were you were you into sports or were you a dude that's you know, kind of just uh, stayed indoors? <laughs> Where did you find yeah. yourself?
3: When I was coming up, I had a, lot, a really hard time in school. Okay. And, um, you know, and that was probably hard for my parents, too, because you know, education was so important to them. And I really, I, I had a hard time just focusing on schoolwork.
2: Were you diagnosed with like a learning disability or was it like? I, yeah, I was. I was diagnosed with, with with a learning
3: disability and, you know, and so my parents were really adamant about like not letting that define me. You know, it, it, school was really hard and I was being, you know, on, when I was younger, I had I to go into like these special learning disability classes and that was really tough on me being ripped out of class in front of people and really quickly I figured out that I was going to have to find my niche as far as what was going to make me special because it wasn't going to be raising my hand first it wasn 't going to be like <laughs> yeah, you know any of those things, mm-hmm. and you know the typical like curriculum and way of doing things just didn 't work for me and i and I learned pretty quickly that I was going to have to kind of compensate and find my own ways of doing things, and music was definitely uh, the first you know avenue mm-hmm. that re- really made sense to me as far as like how to absorb information right
2: right,
4: and,
3: and I' really learned quickly that that i was I was good at it, you know even just tinkering around on pianos and stuff like that, I clearly had something that, like, my friends didn't.
2: Did your parents, so, was, was, was music, like, an important part of your parents' life? Like, you know, how, how it, did that kind of become?
3: It, it was, but ironically, they never, um, you know, I guess their generation would have been things like the Beatles and stuff like that. Right.
2: And they never got into
3: any of that stuff that, you know, now I love and, and is, a, is a huge part of my listening uh, catalog right now, but... All these things like the Beatles and David Bowie and the Who and Led Zeppelin and, and all that the music of the 60s and 70s. Um, uh-huh. They didn't listen to any of that stuff. They listened to stuff that like our grandparents would listen to. Oh,
2: interesting. They,
3: they, they never knew anything about rock and roll. My dad was into musical theater. We would go to like New York every weekend and get like cheap tickets to like a Broadway show or something. Oh, wow. And I grew up around all kinds of like Broadway musicals. I saw like the original cast performances of like all these amazing historical musicals growing up and stuff.
4: Sure.
3: (laughs) You know, it's funny. But that had a huge impact on me because uh, some of that stuff was so dense and it told a story and it was based on dynamics of, of, of what was going on as opposed to just, you know, some formulated structure. Right. And, and it really, you know, seeing those kind of like orchestras in those pits, playing all that percussion and doing all these interesting things with all these different various influences based on, on what the musical was or the show was really had a huge impact on me yeah. It was definitely the darker stuff that i enjoyed the most stuff like sweeney todd and right and things Like that so i i definitely think that he had a huge impact on the kind of music that i want to make
2: yeah that's so that's so interesting because like i i honestly i've never really thought about it in that context where because you know mostly our parents of that generation that you're speaking of it's like that was obviously like pop music and like when I first started to listen to music, I never broke it down as far as just like, oh, this is how they write music or this is like, you know, right. kinda of how a guitar works. Like, you know, you just listen to it. But the fact that you were able to kind of see in the most, you know, visual representation possible, like how these instruments work together, like that's just that's obviously that's a unique experience, like you said. Yeah,
3: definitely, definitely. It was it was definitely a good experience. And it also I also get along with gay people really well.
2: <laughs> You're like, I understand I grew up in musical
3: theater. You know right. movie the reference point and have to what I mean.
2: right or, <laughs> and the fact that you can you can also reference, you know so many of these these things that you know, uh, other people that haven't experienced musical theater, you're like, oh no, 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 I saw the original version of Cats. I know what's up. Yeah. exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the show is sponsored by BetterHelp.
4: As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted
2: influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow, iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. So then, like, your parents obviously had, like you were saying, you were tinkering around at the piano and stuff. Um, they, so they had musical instruments, or you were just doing that at school? Yeah, no, we had a piano at home, but
3: I didn't really seriously take any any
2: lessons. Um, mm mm-hmm reading music and all that stuff that
3: kind of used the other side of the brain you know that wasn't really the side of the brain that was that was uh strong in me that was like the mathematical side you know so taking just traditional piano lessons or something like that and where they just sit there and throw sheet music in front of you and you spend a month learning how to play mary's how mary had a little lamb didn't work for me because when i tried to take lessons like that i'd end up kind of just mimicking what the teacher did, and um, they thought I was really—they <laughs> thought I was like reading all the sheet music, like just kind of memorized by ear uh-huh. everything they were doing. So like I took a few piano lessons, and then pretty soon, like I realized that like I wasn't reading sheet music; at all. I was just kind of copying them. And even the few guitar lessons I took, like I didn't really understand what he was saying. I just started playing what like, right. he played. Right. So I quickly learned that like I really need to just kind of learn how to teach myself. It was when I finally realized that it's not about how you do it, it's about getting the job done, mm-hmm. um, you know, things really start to, uh, I really started getting a lot of confidence and started making bands and started actually doing well in school and all those kind of things. So, um, you know, music was a huge part of all of that.
2: Like everybody in high school, you're searching for a sense of identity and that was yours where it pulled, like you said, it pulled you out of the, you know, feeling inadequate. And then you started to be like, "Oh no! Like I, this is my thing. I'm I'm I'm, totally. I'm happy with this." Totally. As you were progressing um, through high school, like you know, when did the uh, independent music scene start to uh, you know pop its way into your life, and how did you get introduced to that?
3: Um, yeah, I mean, that was a really amazing time for me. Uh, you know, in high school, I was just always the guy that was like really motivated. To I was always the guy who looked at the band as like kind of an entrepreneurial. Um, opportunity you know not in in a financial sense but in like a creative business sense Mm -hmm. you know marketing and running around like making flyers and like those kind of things were really exciting to me so i was always the guy in the band and no matter how shitty our bands were
2: (laughs) right like i was always
3: the guy who was like pushing it on everyone and like running around and getting a job and like an office just so i had a copier at my uh (laughs) and my fingertips so I could, like, make flyers. Right. I remember I got, intro- I got fired once because there was a supply closet that had, like, double-sided tape that was really expensive, and I used all of it to make stickers. Oh, <laughs> that's incredible. I made, like, a, like photocopied a million in pictures of my band and then covered it at the back with double-sided tape. Cut them all out. I spent like you know the entire time working using the supply closet to make stickers for my band and set classroom <laughs> all over uh, the school.
2: Dude, that's incredible. I love nothing. Nothing makes me more nostalgic than those days of yeah. Oh, like do you know a guy at Kinkos? Like maybe we can do yeah. our our layout for like a penny. And oh, I just oh, yeah, it was the best.
3: <laughs> oh, that was like the next level. That was like if you could find someone at Kinkos. Is the it would gold. Give you those cards. He would give you those like copy cards and stuff. Oh, those you re- were set, man. Totally, totally. A billion flyers for like nothing. You know?
2: Right. He was like, <laughs> he's like, all right, show up at three in the morning. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then I'll be able to do it for you.
3: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. He's like, I'll hook you up. You know. That's exactly- Yeah, I mean, it was really like that. It was like you start just doing things like on your own like that, and then you really quickly get immersed in the whole DIY scene. And then you discovered the Kinko's thing, and then we discovered using dialers to make free phone calls on payphones. Right, right. And then, and, and then it was just one thing after another, and you just get absorbed in this world. You start, you know, putting on shows, or just, you know, you realize that you don't really need anybody else. And there was what? one club in our town that was just kind of this, this club called Obsessions, and which mm-hmm. is kind of like shady guy that ran it and he'd try to just put bands on the bill and they'd have to sell like a certain amount of tickets in order to play and he had you like running around like begging your family to buy like a thousand tickets (laughs) right it was just really quickly that just didn't sit well with me that kind of thing and 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 you know when i found punk rock and i realized that you didn't need any of that Mm -hmm. in order to play shows and Go to shows and you know, be a part of it. it it really quickly appealed to me so
2: right well yeah. i, guess, I
3: mean you know, during high school that i got into all that stuff
2: right 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 yeah and obviously it speaks to your personality when you start like did you start to desire to play in bands like in high school like was that kind of the first taste where you were like oh yeah or was it you know like once you graduated from high school
3: yeah it was definitely in high school yeah um you know i had a guitar going in high school it kind of sat in my closet And I'd pick it, I'd like grab it and just play around on it and then throw it back in. I never took it really seriously. But in high school, um, you know, meeting other people who played instruments and stuff, it
2: was uh, pretty serious. Right, right. And so the, uh, what was, I guess what would be be the sort of quote unquote first official band that you like played an actual show with, no matter how uh, terrible it is or if it's a high school talent show, that's completely fine. Well, yeah, man, well. The first band was called Legend, and there's I think there's a band around right now that's called Legend. So maybe you, probably maybe it can... be, you know it might be ex-members. I don't know. But... <laughs> yeah, they they brought the, the legacy lives on. <laughs> yeah,
3: but uh, it was called Legend, and we played a church lock-in.
2: Oh, oh, a lot, dude! Lock-ins should come back. Like that concept mm-hmm. is amazing to me. <laughs>
3: <laughs> they lock you in a church
2: all night, all night. What are we going to do with these kids? And, like, yeah. I, really, I remember in junior high, because, like, I went to, like, private and uh, religious schools, like, my whole life, and it seemed uh-huh. to me, it, like, in junior high, it seemed to me so ridiculous because they're like, okay, let's put boys and girls in a locked gymnasium where all they're going to try to do is figure out ways to, you know, misbehave or try to make out with one another. Like, you just, yeah. I was like, what? Why would you do that? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, that's, did you have, like, a seven-hour set?
3: I don't even remember, man. I was like the only Jewish kid in this church, you know, like locked in. And I'm like, I don't care if I got to sit here and pray for like, you know, half the night as long as I get to to rock, you know?
2: (laughs) That's incredible. So it was, you were Jewish and this was like a Christian school?
3: Yeah, it was this lock in at like St. Virgil's Church or something. And, uh, you know, we got to play. We got to play. So I think we played like Black Cruise and (laughs) I think we played all covers and like Skid Row and
2: so good.
3: We were just rocked. It was it was a dream come true. I was like, we. It was amazing. It was like we couldn't believe there were people watching us. It was right. Unbelievable. It's awesome.
2: That's so good. Yeah, and you like like you said, you, you have a captive audience. They had no choice but to watch you. No, yeah, we like
3: these guys cannot not watch us. Like they're
2: locked in. Right. This is ideal. Perfect. Yeah. That's incredible. Um, And. S- who got you into the like the whole you know independent music scene? Like, was it was your sister into it, or did you have like an older friend, or was it something that you kind of just started to trip yeah, on on your own? That's a good
3: question. You know, I always wonder that about people because you really often do need like an older brother or sister to kind of.
2: <laughs> yeah, totally.
3: My sister was not into any of that. Uh, we shared a love for Journey. Okay. And uh, we both enjoyed the Jack Wagner seven inch. Okay. Um, <laughs> who, uh he was, a, he was a somebody who used to be on the soap opera called General Hospital, and then had a hit record. Right. <laughs> Those are the kind of things we shared until I realized that there was more out there. <laughs> yeah. But um, you know what it was? I got really into, like, death metal. That was my first underground music. My first real underground music was a really underground death metal uh-huh. and weird stuff like that. Okay. And I think it was because one of the kids in my neighborhood had an older brother who was a total dirtbag and like listened to all kinds of fucked up shit, you know? Right, of course. And he had like one of these catalogs. Who knows? It's probably like a three house records catalog or something, you know? Right, right. I don't know. I don't remember. But he had one of these catalogs that just had like insane shit in it. I remember looking through it and like, oh my God, what the? Right. Insane, you know? Right. And I remember just ordering a bunch of stuff out of the catalog and, you know, things like, you know, Cannibal Corpse and Deicide. Mm -hmm. I just got into all this really hard stuff. And I was like, at the time, that was like the most technical stuff you could find. Completely. The most energetic stuff you could find. And it was the most, there was was the most anarchy you could find. Mm -hmm. It was like super underground death metal. And... But I remember getting one record, particularly. It was a band called Disharmonic Orchestra. Okay, yeah. And they had, like, kind of like jazzy, kind of fusiony things going on in this death metal. And that really stuck out to me as, like, interesting. I was like, I think that was maybe one of the first things that made me, led me down the path of doing more kind of eclectic you know heavy music or something
2: right you could put you can put these influences or these musical stylings that don't typically make sense together but you could weave it and it's 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 doable there's another band that's done it
3: <laughs> right totally totally and then um you know and, and then in my area when i started to see some of these bands there were a couple kind of hardcore bands that were like playing with them occasionally mm-hmm. sure I think I saw, I don't remember, but I started seeing some of the, because like some of the New York hardcore stuff, it was like on that edge of like being metal and right. being hardcore and stuff like Cro-Mags and stuff like that. So
4: mm-hmm.
3: I started going to shows and you'd see like a band, like Obituary, play with like Madball or, or something or Cro-Mags or right. occasionally that would happen. And I think one of those occasions I was at a show and it just grabbed me, like the whole hardcore thing it was like, whoa
2: right this is really really interesting this is this is another thing that i can dive into yeah and it just put me down that path um, yeah yeah that's that's interesting because yeah i was just you know going to see the gv's and seeing
3: El reno and fucking going on high and going over to the village constantly to see hardcore shows
2: sure sure you kind of hit on this topic earlier but at this point was the relationship with your parents strained at all and then obviously after you got into this stuff and you started going to shows and you know your parents clearly have no context for this like how what was their reaction
3: <laughs> well, I, I mean I don't think I know that I was going to happy shows. Um
2: well,
0: what'd you
3: say then? <laughs> <laughs> well I what I, one of the things I ended up um having a girlfriend in New York City. Oh um, when I was in high school. I like met this girl at camp or something and mm-hmm. she lived in New York and so my girlfriend for all of high school was this chick that lived in New York. So it was funny because like I she'd come to to New Jersey and my hometown she had like a nose ring and like you know, black hair. And, like, right. Everyone was like, whoa, that girl's, that's so crazy. Like, you know. Yeah. That dude Ben rolls with some crazy, <laughs> wicked people, you know. Right, from right. New York, from New York City, you know. like <laughs> Right. So I was immediately kind of like this different breed, just, you know, as soon as I got immersed in this world, and like, kind of like, hung out with people from New York, and all this stuff, and I wasn't confined to like, the town. Sure. Um,
4: yeah, I mean, I'd go hang out
3: with her, and visit her, and her parents were a lot, more lenient than mine so as soon as i got under their supervision i was able to just say all right later (laughs) you know yeah you're like i'm I'm gonna go uh, all these
2: shows and hang out all weekend in new york
3: yeah we just go get on the subway and just go to really dodgy areas and and see shows and i'm I'm sure if my parents knew they would not be happy
2: right um so they were basically like all right as long as we're not getting phone calls from the cops when ben's out he's he should be okay
3: yeah basically i mean. I don't know, I mean, it was hard because they definitely were not stoked with some of the things I was doing, but uh, sure, you know, we figured it out and,
2: right, right were you, you I know, mean, were you uh, they can't really
3: stop you so
2: <laughs> well, yeah, totally, I mean, it's one of those things, like once the train's left the station, all you can do is like you know hopefully it stays on the tracks <laughs> right, and then like you mentioned, like obviously, as Dillinger started to become more of a presence in your life, how did they, how did that conversation go where it was like okay, well, I'm not going to go to college. And, like, were they just, like, are, wh- wh- you're throwing your life away? This is a terrible decision? Well,
3: well, I did go to college, and that, I think, the big the big thing there was that I did go to school. I actually, you know, when I finished school, I was doing pretty much Dillinger throughout, started Dillinger while I was in college,
4: mm-hmm.
3: and then would do it, you know, weekends. Got through school, did very well in school, actually, at that point, um, and uh... and then got a really great job at this court, like this corporate job, you know, stock options and you know, a name on the office with my name and metal you know, like the <laughs> yeah. metal plate, you know, like sure, sure. It was it was like you know I had this job and you know I'd have to put a tie on and go to work and I'd be just thinking about Dillinger constantly and how I can do this and what's going on with Dillinger and shows and just again like it transferred from being in school and and being excited to go play Dillinger to getting this job. Mm-hmm. and things starting to happen. Like, uh, you know, I was in this job during the time that we got the Mr. Bungle Tour, and we were about to put out our first full-length Infinity, and we had some hype off that EP on Relapse, and so we'd already taken that step towards some kind of success. You know, we were signed, we were getting gigs, there was hype, but, you know, it wasn't like a career yet, you know, it wasn't like, uh, right. you know, anything like that. So they were just happy. They they just saw me hustling. You know, they were like, this guy." I was just working so hard all the time, whether it's school or work, and and Dillinger, I was doing everything like mm-hmm. full on, just pushing so hard. Um, so they just were proud of me, honestly. They're just like, "This guy's an animal," you know? Right. Well, that, that, no, that's <laughs> he's just like, "How can we complain?" You know? He's like, "Right,
2: right." Well, no, that's cool because he had that when you know obviously when you have to cross that bridge and be like all right i'm dedicating myself to this um as long as your parents have a sense of like what it is you're trying to accomplish and like like Mm -hmm. they said that you're doing hard work in this it's not like you're just like you know sitting around jamming a guitar for like you know 12 hours a day yeah it's like that's a huge difference because obviously like you totally hear the stories of like Oh, dude i'm gonna move to la and parents are like what the fuck are you talking about like <laughs> this is right the terrible idea but then totally and i was realistic i wasn't moving to la i was like staying in the area just
3: doing it the right way like i was i was working hard you know and and, and, and um you know it wasn't like a pipe dream thing it was like i i realized like don't put all my eggs in that basket i'm doing my other stuff i'm working i'm studying doing the band and they saw that I was doing it for the right reasons I mean I was just truly passionate about music and playing and at that point I didn't expect it to be some kind of you know I was the the decisions we were making were not decisions to try and like become famous and like move to Hollywood and become some famous band like it was really something different you know
2: yeah no no for sure for sure because it's like yeah like you know as all the other things you've indicated in your life like you know you wanted to do something on your own it didn't it wasn't defined by this this conventional wisdom, <laughs> right? Right. Another another thing, kind of looking back, like you know, obviously the the earlier tours that you guys were doing, you know, every time I look back at my flyers, it's just like you know, if I were to show a kid now and be like, "What? There's no way that all these bands played together in this small yeah, room." Totally. What in your own mind? What was like you know, looking back at a tour where you're like. I can't even believe that this happened like with these bands at this time. Like, you know, uh, do, do you have a specific tour that's more like, yeah, that you revisit and it's like, Oh shit, that's right. We did all of that stuff with, you know, fucking botch or whatever.
3: Right. I mean, that's a good question. I all the time, you know, I run over, I, I just, uh, man, that's definitely a good question. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, I mean, I, I, I see flyers all the time and I look at posters I have and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, this is crazy. Yeah. Um,
2: no, no, I know uh, I I am putting you on the spot and I realize that that's that's difficult to rifle through your memory banks but yeah, it's it it, it,
3: it is. I mean, I, I, you know, it's it's definitely interesting to see people that yeah. uh I don't know, man. I mean, I'm looking at a poster right now on my wall from hmm. Take Action Tour in 2004. Oh, right. And um and then we had, we headlined that show. It was a South by Southwest show. Mm-hmm. And like under us was Against Me, you know, International Noise Conspiracy, Ted Leo. And there, yeah it's interesting I'm looking at it um it,
2: it, yeah. and it's it's funny too you know kind of to that point as well it's like because of what you guys have done like obviously you played with a lot of you know metal hardcore bands et cetera et cetera but yeah. you um you know you rose a, pretty quickly above that sort of you know basement scene where it's like bands that were um, you know more whatever you know obviously like you know Coggy and Cambria like all, all those other bands yeah. that lived outside of you know that typical world but still obviously have a root in independent music you know they wanted Mm -hmm. to take you out just like obviously the relationship that you guys have with uh you know deftones it's like right that stuff started to just like really permeate you guys where it's like oh yeah like i mean like i said your first trip out to california was with mr bungle and like you know what like how's that gonna happen for a hardcore band
3: (laughs) yeah yeah that was unbelievable i mean yeah it's been such a whirlwind and it's never been it's hard to say. You know, people say, "What uh, what, what were the big jumps in your career? What were the big things?" And there's just been so many, and and that's the reason why we're still here is because there's always something that's exciting happening, that's new and different right. for us. And it's never been one. There's never been one tour or one incident that like made a huge difference I don't think in career, like real impact it's just been this collection of all these things over so many years and just honestly just surviving right. and still doing it right? Not, you know and uh, has been really the biggest I think well, yeah, benefit for us, you know, it's just just the fact, and, and the most impressive thing to me is just that we're still here,
2: <laughs> right? No, no, totally, because it, it's difficult to put obviously everything in context when you're. I mean, you're still involved in it. The most difficult thing is keeping a band together. Period. Like that's yeah. just that's hard. Like I know it seems like such yeah. a simple task, but like especially when. When people start playing in bands, you know they're in their you know late teens, early twenties, and it's like the most tumultuous time in people's lives. And like you said, yeah, the the proof is in the pudding—the fact, like, well, we're still standing. Yeah, <laughs> that's successful.
3: Yes, yeah. yeah, serious. Um, yeah.
2: And I, like you were mentioning earlier, where um, you were really drawn to the you know being sort of the the business guy of the band. Anytime you hear about the dude in the band that like handles the business and like you know manages themselves or whatever, more often than not, it's like, oh, that dude can't do shit. Like, he is terrible. He just, you know, he he won't answer your email for like two weeks or whatever. Um, Yeah. But what always impressed me with you, that that totally was never the case. Like, you were. Oh. I mean, I'm, I'm sure. That, I'm sure there are times you checked out, but that's you know that's human nature. But yeah, yeah. So I, I find that I find that interesting that you were always willing to take on that role. And for one, you weren't a singer because that always happens to singers. Right. <laughs> Obviously, you still derive a lot of enjoyment out of being that that you know sort of central you know hub for the band as far as the business dealings are concerned. Well, I
3: mean, I, I think that you know it's just like being the guy that. You know the one original member that's been in the band since day one and since those you know early days of those exciting things happening. And
4: mm-hmm.
3: you know, as I as we talked about, there was a certain ethic and a certain kind of thing that was surrounded with the inception of this band, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it was a huge part of why we are the way we are, sound the way we are. If anything, it's not. If it hasn't been about like having control over everything. It's been more about like kind of like the responsibility. It's been a responsibility. I just feel like, you know, the kind of, the fact that we're still here and that, um, we've lasted as long as we have and, uh, you know, we're still somewhat relevant at least in in this world with all this new stuff going on and all these fads that have come and gone. It's like, I just feel like I've always felt like I have a responsibility to kind of maintain that legacy and to just make sure that we're standing true to some of that ethic that, that we started with. And so, um, I've always wanted to make sure that was in my hands, you know, that it couldn't, you know, to, to at least some degree. You know, you can't control everything. And
4: mm-hmm.
3: um, obviously, you know, other other people are are, are uh, contributing. And, of course. You know, and the band evolves and changes. But I felt like, I've always felt like it was my responsibility just to make sure that some of that, you know, some of that attitude and some of that ethic from the from the early days um, still stays, you know, that, yeah. that print is still on it, you know.
5: What exactly are the duties of being a member of the wedding party?
2: All that plus so much more.
5: Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Grown Up Stuff
2: Yeah, no, I I like that. I like that philosophy because, yeah, it's, it's... it's hard to do that, <laughs> and obviously it's like when you know the whole saying like you lose the forest from the trees it, it's you know that it, that's totally applicable to this, where it's just like you know if you 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 didn't steer the ship as closely as you have over the years, like you know Dillinger may have changed to the point of where you know you can't trace the lineage as well, you know you can't right. see what the band has done over the years, it's like you know you've you know sonically each record sounds much different than the last, um you know you can still trace everything back not only musically but like you said philosophically where it's just like oh yeah you know the band is essentially still the same band like they're not right they're not fucking that's that's
3: been the difficult that's been really the challenge and that's been the most exciting thing about this band is to continue to evolve and change and try new things and not get bored and not become a band that just has to put out the same record over and over again but still like you said maintain that stamp and that attitude to some degree where you can still trace the lineage and it's still it's still the same band yeah Yeah, no that's been really the biggest challenge and and i think you know what i'm most proud of i guess
2: no no for sure and that's something yeah you 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 should be proud of um and sort of to uh to you know wrap things up in a somewhat cohesive manner i always find it interesting because your i mean your band has obviously been through a lot member changes label changes etc etc and you the band has been put into fucking ridiculous situations um like it, it i especially find it from like the press perspective where it's just like mm. oh like you know hey go to this you know do this in store do this thing like uh, you know where it's just like uh i i guess we'll do that <laughs> what yeah you know what w- what memories trigger from that where it was just like the most either awkward you know press experience um where you know or it was just something where you're like wow this is a ridiculous opportunity we get to play in a boat or whatever you know <laughs> some, right, of, right. some of those ridiculous things that you've had to participate in
3: oh man there's so many but yeah i mean a couple things that stand out were like i mean some some of things in the early years we were doing things like because we were kind of the band like when we signed of Relapse and, and mm-hmm. it was predominantly like you know a lot of just heavy grindcore and stuff like that um i guess because we were you know, we were on a, I mean, the label was cool. You know, it was cool to be on that. It was one of my favorite labels growing up and and to be on that label was amazing. I guess, you know, there was kind of interesting opportunities that came with that because being the band that was a little more Mm avant-garde and more, I don't want to say more artistic because it wasn't more artistic, but I guess could, could kind of like touch on different, you know, vibes and different kind of-
2: Different worlds, yeah.
3: Worlds, yeah, we kind of touched on different worlds we there were some things that came up, like we played some art shows and stuff like that, where it was like all these weird people and wearing, you know, was designer it like... gowns, and like we were just like trashing the place. you know and like, Wait, was it? So was it like and they, they, they were like, oh, like... this is performance art, you right. know? <laughs>
2: <laughs> so it was like a performance art, like it was a gallery, and you guys were playing, and it was just like weird, weird, totally
3: weird, because we were just like, you know. I'm probably wearing like a carcass or something, you know. And, like,
4: <laughs>
3: and there's these women with like with champagne and like <laughs> watching us, you know, kind of horrified, kind of interested, right. you know. It, it, anything from like those things to like the simple things of just the early days of just playing anywhere we could. Where we're like, okay, we're playing this coffee house, and there's people thinking, drinking lattes, playing Scrabble, and like Dimitri's like jumping on the table like right you know, a lot of trying to play Scrabble, you know am like kicking their board over here you know, and they're just like what the fuck <laughs> you know i don't want this to us you know playing with old dirty bastard uh in new york city right we opened for old dirty bastard like two days before he died wow and that was a weird you know and and you know and having a room full of like kind of we can Fans just be like, "Whoa, this is crazy!" You
2: know, right? What are these? What are these white boys doing on stage? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
3: yeah, it's some
2: interesting things. Um, that, that's funny. Two of the most. Uh, I mean, the, the sort of like we were talking about the reputation preceding you know you. Um, I just always remember the, uh, you know, the, the crazy fest, like, you know, when you guys were throwing equipment in the river or whatever. Um, yeah. and, and then, um, I mean, obviously like you spoke about like the, the, the fire breathing when, you know, Dimitri <clears throat> was, Dimitri was doing that. And then, um, I always love that video of, uh, the Virgin Megastore in-store where yeah. Greg's just swimming over people. Like <laughs> I just, yeah, that was an amazing
3: experience. Like looking back, because again, it was just one of these things that someone's like, yeah, we're doing this benefit for the tsunami mm-hmm. and um do you guys want to play we're like yeah definitely you know a lot of people you know a lot of tragedy over there let's let's just show you know right show support but at the time we all lived on the east coast so we're like let's just just go there with our guitars on our backs and play a show you know right and uh you know it became one of the most memorable moments for us just based on that video even and and um I do remember playing and just kind of seeing people in the store, just random people who were just there to shop, kind of coming down the escalator as we were playing and then seeing us with, like, horror and then trying to run up the escalator, like, the opposite way. <laughs> 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 like, I do not want to get down, because like, the escalator pretty much went down and, and you walked off into a pit. Into a pit. Like, into that pit that you see Greg jumping on you know and it's like right. I remember seeing like these girls coming down the escalator to get you know to like shop and like being like <laughs> I'm like running back up like trying to beat the escalator <laughs> Dude, that's and incredible. I'm sitting there playing guitar watching it like I'm watching a show like, and I had to remember wait a minute I'm playing I gotta like get that focus again
2: <laughs> right yeah the fact that you had like the wherewithal to recognize that and be like oh this is hilarious basically like they're plummeting to their doom in a way
3: yeah <laughs> They're being fed to the lions, basically. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's incredible. But yeah, I, I was I was very glad that that moment or that entire you know uh, yeah that moment was captured and obviously will will live on on in the internet for quite some time.
3: <laughs> you know, it's funny because like that kind of stuff happens all the time. You know, and it's like all you know it, with YouTube, it's funny and it's cool, but it's like funny because like we said, you had to go to the shows back in the day, and but like you know, you know, somebody happens to have a video camera or something and all of a sudden it's like this defining moment, mm-hmm. but that's not like a, that wasn't like, you know, it still isn't like an, an odd Dillinger show, you know? Like, no, right, right. It's a Dillinger show, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. But, um,
2: yeah, but you had to, yeah, you definitely had to, um, you know, witness it to believe that. I mean, I like, I don't know why this triggers this memory, but like, you know, when Inca Dagger started a tour and they were, you know, obviously dressed up like vampires yeah. and, that it's like, yeah, dude, you gotta go to the show. Like they're fucking, they're vampires. Like, yeah, I definitely, uh, the coolest thing ever, man. Yeah. Right. Like, and I definitely, you know, I, I think just because both you and I are so involved in independent music, it's tough to kind of, you know, remove yourself from it. But yeah, you definitely don't feel the same um, sense of urgency to be like, Oh, I have to see that, you know, like, Mm. I mean, the the, the most recent example I can think of is like, you know, like ghost, obviously it's like they put on a a show and it's incredible Mm -hmm. and, and so, but yeah, it's like, you know, band, like whatever, doing a reunion show where it's just like, oh, I, I guess I got to see that because it's like, you know, right. like reuniting or whatever. But the band. Yeah.
3: That- I mean, I try to think about like what the difference is. I mean, like, why well, is like seeing some band, some young band where it's like eyeliner and some weird, you know, looks like Nick Sick or, just, uh, you know, plays like right. know, metal, like, why is that not the same as like a kick dagger or something? And sometimes I minimize it just because I'm old and I'm just jaded or. Right. But I don't know. I think I think a big part of it is the fact that it wasn't something that was it wasn't it was more artistic to me. I mean, it was like uh you know, when bands went to that effort, to me it it wasn't with like this idea that you were gonna be famous or you're gonna appeal to some giant crowd or you're gonna be on the radio or you're gonna have like posters and hot topics, that just didn't exist. Right. So it just seemed a little more pure, um the intention seemed a little more pure because I mean, sure, everybody wanted to be something within our scene. You know, of course, we wanted to be the cool kids in the room. But it kind of ended at that, you know. It was never a means to an end. It was never there was never any thought that any of us could could you know make a living at it or anything. It was like let's try to just not lose money. Right. Let's try to make some impact in the small scene and right. um, and do something that we're stoked about.
2: I definitely like that. I mean, I, every tour that I did in the beginning, you know, whatever late late nineties was like, let's, let's break even, like, as long as we're coming home with like, and and especially the idea, like, you know, everybody that's in a touring band know, now knows the idea of like per diems, like, oh, yeah, I'm gonna get $10 a day or 20, whatever. Um, Uh But it's like, I just remember being like, all right, well, we have to work jobs because we, you know, we're not gonna get per diems, like, we're gonna put all that money into the gas that's gonna get us to the and we're buying our own food, like, (laughs) yeah. <laughs> but yeah no it's it's definitely a difficult balance to be able to like maintain the the perspective, especially it's like you know a person such as yourself who's obviously it's like you know y- you can tour with some of these bands like you know you and yeah they um you know they they obviously are so far removed from the context that you know you've grown up in, so you have to you honestly you more than they do have to do a lot of work in order to kind of like, you know, get into their mindset. Like, you know, they look at, right. you know, they look at Ben from Dillinger and just like, "Oh, that dude, you know, that dude shreds or whatever." Like whatever perception they have of you. Um but then, right. you, know, you look at them and it's like, "Oh man, like I don't I don't even know where to begin with this." Like try <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just try and relate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But but it's good because you've always struck me as a person who obviously would do that work. Like you're not, you know, you're not turning a uh you know blind eye and being like well you right. know what like fucking i'm writing these people off immediately like i'm not no even-
3: no i mean it's all relevant and it's all important you know um
2: yeah i mean that's
3: the challenge of of, of continuing if you want to stay in this world and do this you have to right no you have to respect certain. the changes and all that stuff you know yeah and at least try and uh try to understand it but i it, it, at the same time i think I'd like to to say that you know while everybody in this day and age has to do a lot of work to differentiate themselves and be special based on just the amount of bands out there and the access to information and the ease of information of putting it out there. I, I, I'd like to think I'd like to hope that what will continue to make us different or stand out is some of those. I guess uh, qualities that came from those early days, you know. Right. Yeah. Some of so. The, right. Exactly. So uh, you know, it's like I said. Well, I'm not ignore. Well, like you know, I wouldn't ignore these differences or these changes, and wouldn't say that like we're better than those bands just because we went through that. I would like to to hope that what differentiates us and just the sea of of uh, of bands is are those things,
2: are those differences, you know. Mm-hmm, Yeah, definitely. Because all, all it is 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 context. Because like the yeah. You know, The idea that, like, like you're referencing some of the documentaries that have come out, it's like you know one of the most glaring issues that I've had that I have with like American hardcore is the fact that you know they they're like, oh yeah, well hardcore basically ended in 1985, and it's just like, well, it's easy for people to say that that obviously aren't involved anymore. Like, if you're not involved, it dies when you know you decide to move on from it. Um, Yeah, it's so difficult to be able to kind of like you know maintain that positive attitude towards. Nostalgia in general, or it's like, oh man, yeah, yeah. The, the, those days were so much better than now, and it's like, well, no, technically, now is better than then. Because. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's such a such a difficult balance, but uh, it is. It's so hard. I think about all the time. But yeah. yeah,
3: you're right. You can't. You can't. Uh, you can't be that way. You choose to care about it and be involved. And-
2: right. That 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 in and of itself, like uh, in all honesty, in my opinion, makes you better than all the people that have like you know dropped off. And like, and when I say dropped off, like not from a sense of like uh, because of responsibilities they can't go to as many shows or whatever. It's like that's fine, but it's like you can still care about that. You can like obviously, you said the ease of information, like you can still be aware of everything that's happening, but you're just not able to like actively participate beyond purchasing music and like supporting bands in that fashion. Yeah. yeah, well, true, well, I really appreciate. I gotta give
3: you credit. I gotta be, give you credit for you know, continuing throughout the years from the early days of playing in bands to working at labels to, to everything you do to con- just to continue to care and be excited by by uh, by music and stuff and the scene. It's like it's really important. So yeah, I'll give you credit
2: for that. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. That's obviously that's why I've always felt a kinship to you because you you know you've done the same exact thing and you know you've you've uh yeah, you've always been obviously awesome to me as a dude. So, and I appreciate that. Thank you, sir. <laughs> I don't think there's a more appropriate way to end the uh, the this beautiful interview portion than that. So, I thanks for hanging out, Ben. I really do appreciate it. Thank you, man. No problem. There you go. <clears throat> I always say, there you go. Here, here you go. I don't know. I just need to come up with better, more original intros, outros. Anyways. Ben, what an interesting dude. Great stories. Obviously, I could have probably talked to him for another, like, seven or eight hours, but uh, that would have been mean, and I wouldn't have done that to him. Probably or you, because that would be a brutal podcast. 100wordspodcast.com, propertyofzack.com. Hang out, find some other content, you know, because, I mean, the internet is a large and scary place. These two sites are trusted. You'll find good stuff there. I promise. Yeah, anyways, until next week be safe you can try get the door